Hi, everybody. Ron Shiver here. Welcome to another Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. Today, a very special guest and a very timely one, too. He is Minnesota's fisheries chief, Brad Parsons. Brad, thank you for joining us today. Oh, very happy to be here, Ron. Um, always good to talk to you. Well, this has been, uh, this is a busy time of year for uh, your fishery staff, I know, and uh uh, with the walleye spawning runs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they've been all, you know, out gathering eggs. And that's, that's what we kind of want to catch up with today. Um, in a nutshell, how did the, how did the egg collections work this year? You know, Ron, it, it went really well. And when we have kind of late years like this, that can be, that can be tricky, um, even problematic some years, but but we got everything done. I think our most northern runs were done by about May 5th. And uh, we got the we got the quotas that we needed. And those eggs are currently on on jars in our various hatcheries, uh, getting ready to hatch out. And um, that's that's where we are right now. It's a little bit of a waiting time, but I know that at least some of the southern Minnesota eggs, the uh, the Sarah Lower Mississippi strain have already hatched and they're out and about, but uh, that'll be going strong here very soon. Brad, you mentioned uh, the quota. Um, uh, the, you mentioned the quota. Um, I don't know if people know, and I think it's still true. Minnesota raises more walleyes than I think any other state. And if that's true, what was the quota this year? Yeah, we, we do. Um, we take, we, this year we took about 4,100 quarts of eggs, and hopefully that's going to result in um, about a little over 300 million walleye fry that, that hatch out. Um, a quart of eggs can be anywhere, depending on the, the place where they're taken, about 120,000 eggs per quart. So it's a lot, and um, it's it's turned out really well. So. What, what we're looking for from our hatching this year is about um, a little over 300 million fry. That's, that's a, that is an astronomical number if you think it about it. It, um, it, it is, and it, and it takes a very robust hatchery system to get that all done and to make sure we get our genetics right because we've proven that um, having the right genetics in the right places is a, is a real important aspect of, of walleye management for us. Well, that's interesting. It's probably a topic uh, of its own, but just for folks that don't know, and that is uh, different waters around the state have walleyes with a different genetic makeup. Is that would would that be the way to describe that, Brad? Yeah, and it, it's basically by our major watersheds, like the uh, the Red River, for instance, or uh, Pike River, which flows up into the uh, rainy lake kind of area and then we have Mississippi strains and we have strains that do much better in southern Minnesota and it it, it matters uh, there's not one magic bullet kind of walleye out there they tend to do best in places where they have evolved to to do so so we we're very cognizant of that 
Real quick, how many uh, egg gathering stations uh, did your staff operate this year? Uh, it, it was it was ten. Uh, this year, we we actually didn't operate one of our biggest ones, which is uh, Cutfoot Sioux up in uh, the Winnie, Lake Winnie area. And that was because in certain years with the kind of winter conditions we had, uh, there can be some fairly low oxygen there. And we don't want to have something where we have a bunch of walleyes uh, getting ready to, to be uh, stripped for for egg production to experience that. So we were able to put more effort into the other ones that have the same genetics, the upper Mississippi, and uh, and get what we needed. Um, when, of- when, we, when we can do cut foot, it's, it's a good one because it can, it, it can easily be, take care of a whole lot of our quota in a pretty short order. I'm sure. Now, a lot of folks will say, well, wait a minute, they're taking uh, walleye eggs out of my favorite lake here, one of those 10 locations, and... Uh, uh, does that mean my fishing success is going to go down? Fewer walleyes, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure you've heard that a thousand times. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the way that we answer that is that the natural hatch rate of, of walleye eggs is, is pretty low. Uh, they, they're what we call broadcast spawners where basically it goes out and they sit amongst the rocks and then they're at the whims of, various things that like to eat walleye eggs or the weather and wind, et cetera. So when we put these eggs in a, in a jar, anywhere from 60 to 75, even 80% of those are going to hatch. And so we take some of those fry and put them back into uh, the body of water where those fish were running out of. It's called, we call it put back. And um, it, it varies by lake because frankly, we don't want to put too many fry in there. It's somewhat counterintuitive to some folks, but you can stock too many fish and it can cause survival issues. Well, indeed. Um, Just curious, you mentioned 300 million fry you'll be hatching. Just to give folks a perspective, uh, because you and I both know nature always overproduces because uh, the survival rate is not a hundred percent. So of the 300 million fry, do you have any idea about how many, how many of those would, would end up on somebody's, uh, end of the line about five, six years from now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, the, the short answer to that is no, because, <laughs> because there are a lot of variables that are out there in terms of, um, you know, what the, what the weather is like, um, when those fry are stocked, if, if the stuff that fish need to eat, the little little walleyes, um, is abundant or not so abundant at that time based on the weather, based on the year. And, um, you know, if, if we we use most of those fry, about 200 and a little over 200 million for that go directly to the lakes. And then we also keep about 90 million of those or close to 100 million that go into our rearing ponds. And when we do that in our rearing ponds, we generally can do pretty well in terms of the survival, but it's much more of a crapshoot in, in our lakes. And then those that go in the rearing ponds grow to what you might call a fingerling length, uh, uh, what, two, three inches, whatever, and they have a better survival when they are stocked. Is that the point? Uh, yeah. The, the, the two inch ones, that's, that's a small fingerling or what we try to call fryling. And Several other states utilize that, but 
we tend to grow ours out into the fall and they tend to be more in that five to seven inch range. And uh, then we go out, we, there, it's actually natural ponds that we use. We go in, we put the fish, we let them, let them grow over the summer and go out and, and net them out. And yes, the, the survival is much higher there. However, with a fry stocking, when they tend to hit, you get a good year class and a lot of walleye fisheries really depend on that kind of boom year class. To, how do you, uh, this is probably a confusing question, but uh, how do you decide where all of these hatchery walleyes are going to go? Um, is this based on some surveys or uh, just favorite favorite spots or whatever? Uh, so how is that determined? Yeah, it's, it's determined through um, our lake management planning process. And that's, that's a, it can seem really simple, but it's a kind of a longer complex thing. But what we do is we, we do our lake surveys. We go out and see what the lakes look like. And then if we can age those fish and figure out if, if they're coming from a year when we stock fish or a year that we didn't stock fish or a year that we stock fry or the year that we stock fingerlings. And so we figure that out. And after you need a number of iterations of that to, to kind of, to get it down. And, um, but it, it tends to work pretty well. The places that we're stocking walleyes now, uh, tend to be benefiting from them. And a lot of the places that it wasn't working, we're not doing anymore because that's just not the responsible thing to do. We do get pressure sometimes from, from local folks on a given lake that if we say, look, our walleye stocking just isn't doing what we want it to. And we have to stop that. That can be difficult. Um, but there is also the, the ability then for those folks, if they want to spend their money on, on that to, to buy fingerlings from, from our private aquaculture, um, business. And that, that, that sometimes helps sometimes work for them. Sometimes it doesn't. We're talking uh, today on the Minnesota Bond Podcast with the uh, Minnesota Fisheries Chief, Brad Parsons. Uh, we'll get back to him. We're going to talk again about those lake surveys, how they decide on lakes, and a few other questions. And so uh, stick with us. We'll be back after these special messages. We have a bunch of sponsors that help us get to you every week. Up first, I want to thank our good friends at Connecticut. You know, right now spring is so close. And that means we're going to be back at the cabin and we're going to be fishing, skiing, doing all the fun stuff we love during summer months. And for the Shirk family, that means Connecticut water in the woods. Last summer, we were lucky enough to add Connecticut water at the cabin. And what a difference for as long as I can remember, we've dealt with stinky, foul well water. But after a painless four-hour installation, we now have Connecticut's soft water and also Connecticut's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make that early morning coffee before going out topwater fishing. Instead, great drinking water right out of the K5 tap. Our laundry no longer smells funny, and Connecticut water cleaned up the showers and the dishes. The world's most efficient, worry-free water system. Visit Connecticut.com to find a dealer near you and join the Connecticut family. Also, we want to give a shout out to the folks at the Minnesota Propane Association. 
Most people agree that we need to lower our carbon footprint while providing reliable and affordable energy. A diverse energy mix will provide reliability and affordability, which is extremely important during Minnesota's four distinct seasons. Fortunately, a clean energy solution for tomorrow is available today. That's ready to work alongside with other energy sources, and it's propane. Propane produces 43% fewer emissions than electricity generated from the U.S. grid. Propane is energy stored on site and independent from the vulnerabilities of the grid. And propane's benefits don't end there. Major advances are being made today for renewable propane that is compatible with the traditional propane and requires no additional infrastructure investments. Minnesota needs to use all our low-carbon alternatives, including propane, to safely provide energy, reliability, resiliency, and affordability. Propane, the right energy right now. To find out more about what propane can do for you, visit propane.com. Welcome back to this Minnesota Bound podcast. I'm Ron Shera. The stories behind the stories. Honored today to have Minnesota's, uh, I, I like to say he's where the buck stops when it comes to fishing. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> DNR Fishery Chief Brad Parsons. So if you didn't have any luck, he's the guy you can blame, okay? I bet you hear that, Brad. I, I have, and, <laughs> and that's okay. Sometimes I don't have any luck either. So I, I got nobody to complain to. <laughs> well, that's true. You're, the, you're where the buck stops. Um, well, Brad, you were mentioning the uh, uh, surveys that you decide if your stocking efforts uh, of walleyes are succeeding or not succeeding. Uh, this is a little bit related to that, but I, I look at the, at your uh, website, uh, uh, Lake Finder, yeah, and I read some of the descriptions by your area and fishery managers, and often I read that the walleye stocking is not doing too well. It's kind of suspect because of an overabundance of stunted. Northern Pike. Uh, that seems to be a pretty prevalent thing that you read quite often in some of these lakes. It, it is. And that is one of the reasons that we um, went to the new regulations that we have for, for central Minnesota, or not new, I mean, they're several years old now, where we encourage people to harvest small pike and, um, and leave the big ones out there. Because what happens is Big pike are pretty good at eating little pike. And the issue is sometimes it's that the pike themselves are eating the walleyes, but often it's the, if you have too many pike, they knock down the yellow perch. And yellow perch is the primary forage fish um, for walleyes to grow and survive on. So that that is, that is an issue. Um, we hope that people are taking advantage of the opportunity to harvest quite a few fish. There are plenty of videos out there, including on our website, how to clean a small pike. And I've, I tend to think that pike are almost as good to eat as walleye. I know there are more people who would say that's a rather blasphemous thing to say, but, uh, but we, we want people to take advantage of that. And, you know, is it going to help everywhere? No. Is one person doing it going to help? No. But collectively and with some time, if we can harvest more small pike and, and get more big pike in there, we think that'll change. Well, I, yeah, and I don't want to belabor this topic, but uh, if you have a, some lake that this situation is pretty extreme, you got just an overabundance of small northerns and they're 
the stocking efforts of walleyes have just not done well, and your your experts uh, point to the northern pike as the culprit. Uh, why not go in there and wholesale net a bunch of these northern pike out and feed them to the eagles? Well, there there have been we we have tried that in the past, um, and it it just doesn't appear to be worth the effort. Huh. Um, we had research projects back when I was before, well before this job, when I was in the research unit that I would help on, on that we did precisely that. And we, we didn't feed them to the eagles. We actually moved them down to southern Minnesota, where because of habitat changes, et cetera, um, the spawning areas aren't as conducive. And we actually stocked northern pike in southern Minnesota. So it's just there, there are so many lakes where this occurs that it would be uh, and even in one or two lakes, if you put a lot of effort, uh, once you stop that effort, it just goes right back. So it it, it makes it makes uh, logical sense. But in, you know, in practice, it just doesn't pan out that way. So we're just kind of stuck with that problem I'm taking. I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, we are to a certain extent in some places, but we do hope that these new regulations and if people uh, do their part and release the big pike and and eat the little ones, that that it'll help. Yeah. And there may be places where we quit stocking walleyes because it wasn't worth it primarily for that reason. But there are, you know, other places where we get back and we're, okay, it might be time to give this another shot. And then we will do that and uh, we will try to uh, evaluate that and uh, pay attention to it because even walleye fry stocking is a relatively cheap operation. Walleye fingerling stocking is a relatively expensive uh-huh. operation. So uh, we, we, we need to be smart where and how we use those fish. Well, just one more, just a thought. I don't know if you've heard about what Bay Lake used to do. I don't know if they still do it, Bay Lake Association. They had a summertime contest among anybody who wanted to go out and catch uh, that limit of 10 northern pike and bring them in. And uh, uh, they had a contest about who could catch the most as an effort to reduce the population, much like we were just talking about. And... um, and they were keeping, I mean, the northern pike weren't being wasted. They were. They would clean them and have a big northern pike feed. But I thought that was uh, interesting that the Lake Association tried that. Now, I don't know if they're still doing it. I don't know if it even made a dent uh, on Bay Lake. But anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I do remember hearing about that. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a good um, it's a good way for lake associations to have some sort of an event and kind of talk about what's what's going on in terms of, of the fisheries. And, uh, I, I applaud it. I mean, like you said, those fish didn't get wasted and, uh, that's terrific. I mean, like I said, a pike fry is pretty good or pickled pike is an awful good fish too. Oh, I love pickled pike. indeed. <laughs> uh, uh, Brad, uh, let's get back to the walleye stocking. Um, now, most of our Minnesota's big lakes, the big five or whatever you want to call them, uh, they don't need stocking. Uh, they have a, enough natural hatch. They produce a lot of catchable walleyes on their own. But some lakes um, do need stocking. Just uh, off the top of your head, are there what are some of the Minnesota lakes that really do well as a result of walleye stocking? Yeah, you know, and it's 
the, the biggest lakes in our state generally they have they have a lot of walleyes because they have good walleye habitat and that's for spawning for ability to to get a, get away from predators when they're little and not having a ton of northern pike out there as we talked about earlier um, there are other places where everything looks pretty good except maybe the spawning habitat isn't quite there or there's something else along those lines and you know there there are lakes like um oh i think about some of the lakes i i, I worked for for your listeners i worked for many years out in west central minnesota there are several lakes out there where, where stocking has really really helped out and um you know we have some of our larger lakes in the brainerd area for example the gull chain that we that we do stock there's some natural reproduction in there but but we can enhance that um you know lakes like a lake minnetonka uh, here in the in the Twin Cities are are supported by stocking. Uh, one of our kind of hidden gems in the metro here, maybe not so hidden to some people, but Bald Eagle Lake has a really good walleye population, and that that's a stocked one. So there are many many examples of that. Uh, you you are correct that a, a lot of the walleyes caught in the state, particularly in our large lakes, are coming from uh, natural reproduction, but. What we are able to do with our stocking program is to provide opportunities for folks in places that they wouldn't otherwise. And that might be, uh, you know, a really consistent walleye fishery, or it might even be more of what we kind of refer to as a bonus fishery. When you're out there fishing crappies or fishing bass or fishing pike, you get that occasional walleye and it really, it, it, it can add to the experience for a lot of people. And that's, that's what hatcheries are for, quite <laughs> frankly, is to provide experiences for our anglers where they wouldn't otherwise have it. Real quick story. When you mentioned uh, the surprise walleye, a couple years ago, I donated some fishing trips. I had two guys in my boat one day, and we went to Coon Lake in uh, Anoka County. One guy liked to fish, and he was catching bass, as I was too. The other guy, not so much. But So I put a Texas-rigged, a uh, plastic worm on his setup is mostly weedless. It would catch bass, though. And he was just kind of dragging it behind. And suddenly he says, I got something. I got a fish. And sure enough, he did. We're all excited. I think it was the only fish he caught that day. And uh, he reels it, reels it, and it comes in. And, Brad, it's it's a 24-inch walleye <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> on a plastic worm. But then the best is yet to come. We net it hand it to him for pictures, and he says, Ron, you know what? I goes, what? This is the first walleye I've ever caught in my life, and the guy was 60-some years old. <laughs> and nice. he says his kids have always caught walleyes. He never has. but So I'm sure that was a stocked walleye at one at one point in Coon Lake. But anyway, yeah. so you're right about that. Um, listen, Brad, we have to take a little break again. And um, uh, I'm talking with Brad Parsons, Minnesota's fisheries chief, uh, about our walleye program, and we're going to talk about uh, hatcheries and I think some good news from our legislature uh, in recent days. We'll be back after these messages. The Minnesota Historical Society. You know, right now, the Minnesota History Center is presenting Sherlock Holmes, the exhibition. You can step into Victorian London and explore the world of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's world-famous detective. Learn about the powers of observation, deduction, and science while solving an interactive mystery. 
Try the hands-on gadgets and experiments that are based on real forensics, and they make learning fun. See exactly how Sherlock influenced both real detectives and pop culture. Last chance, the exhibit closes soon. Learn more at mnhs.org slash SherlockMN. Also, we'd like to thank our friends at Star Bank. Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. If you own a lake home or if you have a pond on your property, you need to call the Aquaside Company. Aquaside has been helping people maintain healthy lake shores and ponds for over 68 years. Aquaside products are easy to use and begin working right away. Aquaside is registered with both the Environmental Protection Agency and Department of Natural Resources. Don't let weeds overtake your lake or pond this summer. Call Aquaside today. They'll help you identify problematic weed types, assist with product selection, and calculate application rates. Aquaside will make sure lake fronts look great all summer long. You can call them at 1-800-328-9350 or go to Aquaside.com. Check with your state agency for local application guidelines. Oh, welcome back to the final edition or final segment, I should say, of the Minnesota Bond Podcast, the stories behind the stories. Ron Sherry here with you today, uh, special guest, uh, Brad Parsons, Minnesota's DNR Fishery Chief. Uh, Brad, we've uh, uh, you and I have been working on this for some time. A lot of our Minnesota hatcheries are, are in bad shape. They're built a long time ago. Um, DNR hasn't had much money to keep them running, blah, blah. There's all kinds of issues here, but um, a group called Men Fish and DNR, we've worked hard to impress upon the Minneapolis or Minnesota legislature that we need to fix these hatcheries up. And it seems like, uh, I haven't seen the final bill yet, but it looks like quite a few millions of dollars will be coming your way now to fix up these hatcheries. Yeah. It, it, it um, like you said, nothing, nothing is over until it's over uh, in terms of a legislature, but, but we, we are really excited. We, we are in a very good spot. Um, we have uh, four cold water and 11 uh, cool water hatcheries around the state. And with the exception of maybe three of them, they all need some work. And some of them need a lot of work. Um, our, our first focus is going to be on our Waterville fish hatchery uh, down south of the Twin Cities. Uh, we, we had a really good event during the opener, an open house there. We, we do great work there, but it's basically a revamped garage and it's not a state-of-the-art system. And as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, Ron, we, we stock more walleyes than any other state. And for us to have kind of our flagship uh, be like that is, is not helpful. We talked a little bit earlier about walleye genetics and we have to be able to, to keep different strains of walleye separate. So we're, we're doing that right. 
Um, some of our cold water hatcheries, uh, Crystal Springs is one. The the water feed system from the springs that feed the hatchery are old clay pipes that are that could fail at any time. So I I'm really excited about this. We got a lot of work to do, um, but boy, when when we're done, it's really going to help. And the other thing I want to stress, if, I apologize for going on so long. I could talk about this for an hour with you. Is that if if we can use that money to get that done, then the money that we normally get for projects doesn't have to go to hatcheries. It can go somewhere else. It can go to a habitat project. It can go to a, a angler survey that we're doing on, on lakes so we can learn exactly what people are catching. It can go to a research project that tells us something we that we need to know. And I that's to me, that's as big of a, a Boone is, is getting the hatcheries together because it, it, it's all a system. It all works together between fish management and our hatchery system. It all works together. I know you and I have had discussions uh, about the lack of fishery or uh, angler surveys because uh, how, would you, how would you know how your stocking's going? How would you know how a lake is working unless you're talking to the people catching fish? And I think by your own admission, um, uh, those surveys haven't been done as many as they should have be because, again, um, money was a, a factor there, staffing, you name it. Um, so your point's well taken there that uh, this money will go and loosen up some other dollars for uh, operation. You know, Brad, what I my big takeaway from this legislative session and what MinFish, MN-FISH, and DNR has been doing is uh, – the, the fact that the sport of fishing in this state has been largely ignored by um, legislators when it comes when it comes to uh, 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 financing the operation it can't just go on fishing licenses alone and so maybe we've changed course here I, I, I think we have I hope we have um, you know the the governor and the legislature have, have recognized this, um, that fishing is a, a $4.4 billion industry in this state. And, and it's, it drives all kinds of things for, uh, small towns and for people in, in cities who like to be able to get out and, you know, have spend some quality time outdoors, either by themselves or with their, with their kids. It, it's, it's the fabric of the state of Minnesota. And it's, it's very, um, these are exciting times. It, it took some weird things to line up for it to happen. But, and the, the other thing is that, you know, the outdoors and hunting and fishing and that tradition, that's, that's not a partisan issue. It's one of those things that, that I don't care what your politics are and anything else. Most people agree that taking care of our natural resources and providing these opportunities and driving a large portion of the economy of the state Fishing is a bigger business than the Mayo Clinic uh, in terms of economic impact for the state. And, and that's, that's some, maybe that'll put that in, in a perspective for some folks. And I'm really excited. Like I said, we got work to do. Um, we're also getting uh, a decent chunk of money so that we can not only fill the current positions we have vacant to get the people uh, that we need to do this work, but we're going to be able to add some and that's exciting. And that's, not something that we've been able to do for a long time. 
um, I, I'm just, boy, I can't wait until the 22nd when the legislature's done and nobody's going to pull the rug out from underneath me. <laughs> well, I don't think the rug's coming out this time. Um, so yeah, we've had the uh, governor Walls. Uh, we don't, Menfish doesn't get into politics, but he has been a huge supporter of what we're, we tried to do somehow it resonated with him that fishing, as you mentioned, is a huge economic engine in this state, but uh, wasn't being supported by uh, by the state. And so we're well, changing and it's something, that. And one, maybe one of the reasons it resonated so much with him is it's something anybody can do. You know, we've uh, one of the investments that I think we're going to get is going to be into shore fishing infrastructure. So, you know, you don't need the $50,000 boat and the pickup truck in order to pull it, in order to, to really enjoy fishing and be able to, to do that in the outdoors. So, uh, you know, that, like I said, that resonates with everybody. I don't care what your political leanings are. It resonates. And that's why I'm, I'm so excited. Well, uh, I am too. Uh, and Brad Parsons, uh, it's time to close this uh, podcast, but I want to thank you again for your time. Um, and uh, good luck ahead here with the better hatcheries, etc. And um, so that about does it for the Minnesota Bound Podcast, the stories behind the stories. Brought to you by great list of sponsors here, Connecticut Water Treatment Systems, also Minnesota Historical Society, Minnesota Propane Association, Aquaside, Rudy Luther, and Star Bank, my favorite bank. I'm Ron Shera. Until next week. Don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Mm-hmm.